Yes, it's wonderful news. For when all these wonderful people get into the swim, it's a wonderful life. For never before has any film contained such a full measure of the joy of living, the drama of living, and above all, the glorious romance that makes this such a wonderful life. Don't you ever get tired of just reading about things? Yeah. Hey, what are you doing tonight? I don't want to get married to anybody, you understand? I want to do what I want to do. And, and you... So after our, you remember the end of uh, Miracle on 34th Street where we commented on how Chris Kringle apparently left his cane in the house. Yes. And we thought that, what's his name? The dude, the lawyer dude, was regretting because he saw that Santa was real in that moment, right? Or at least that's kind of the assumption we went to. That's what I said, but you thought that it was because he shouldn't have been in that relationship. People online commented on the the video and said that he said the phrase, maybe this wasn't such a good idea because when she saw the cane, she tried to rationalize it that the builders left it there, which implied that she didn't actually believe like she claimed to believe. And then he said that because, oh, she didn't believe. But we thought I felt like our interpretation. I don't think that's right. I think our interpretation was more rational because he was overwhelmed with the feeling because we didn't assume that anyone but maybe the little girl or any of the kids in the movie literally thought he was Santa Claus. They were just supporting him because he was doing good yeah. things. Yeah, they didn't want him to go into an old folks home. I think either way, it's not like a great joke or it, no, send-off. There's no way it's a great joke, but it definitely doesn't mean that. So people who commented, sorry, I don't know. it's not I that. Don't, I don't know if they're right or, or if I'm right. I'm, I'm not honestly sure. I can see where they're coming from. I think it's in that moment he realizes, oh shit, I think that man is actually Santa Claus. That's what we thought. That's what I've always thought my entire life. But then what does it mean when he's like, maybe that was, maybe I didn't do such a good thing after all? Well, that's why I've always thought it was a weird comment because it is Santa Claus. But but it, but his phrasing of maybe I didn't do such a good thing after all does make slightly more sense. If it's reacting to her actually not believing when he thought that she did. It does make slightly more sense. I don't think it's... Okay. So you just still think it's what we initially thought. Because I think she still believes. I think it's just one of those, like, no way. Someone must have left that. That can't really be him. And then I think he was like, oh, God, maybe he really is Santa Claus. But it's just the wrong line. Maybe I didn't do such a good thing after all. I think he really is saying like, oh, shit, is that man really Santa Claus? Well, as it's explained to us, he's saying that because he's in a relationship with this woman because he thought that she He can still break up with her. They're not married. He hasn't signed any papers. It's too late now. They're in the house. That's dumb. She believes. I think either way, it's just not a great ending, but whatever. Today, it's Christmas today. Welcome to Movie Umpers. My name is Bob Sham. Amandala. The sounds of your maybe dogs. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Why do we've been feeling cruddy leading up to Christmas? It's the weather. All dried out, my lips cracking. My hands are cracking. 
it's just the weather and having to have the heat on, but also it's like really cold one day and then mildly cold the next day. Should we do this episode in black and white? Yeah. Well, snap your fingers and it'll turn. Hey, that's better. I feel a little better now. I feel a little cooler. A little more chill. Yeah. Yeah. We watched uh, It's a Wonderful Life, the Frank Capra classic. Come on, you know that movie. We saw it in the theater. At the Bellcourt uh, every year. Our independent theater at the Bellcourt. And we saw it opening night. It was the only time of the night where they were showing it after five. And the theater was packed. I would actually say that this is the most packed I've been in a theater in years. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the community came together to watch It's a Wonderful Life. At 8.20 on a Wednesday. It was a legitimately joyous experience. Yeah. And hearing that, that's what's beautiful about your more independent theaters that are playing movies from new independent movies and also classic movies with monthly themes is that you can watch these movies in the theater again. Mm-hmm. And I know what's interesting is that this movie, when it first opened up, did not quite make its budget. It was not considered a hit. Interesting. And one thing, is, and this is actually similar to The Miracle on 34th Street, the OG trailers, if you go back and look at them. If you watch the, watch the trailer from our um, Miracle on 34th Street episode, and you'll notice that it doesn't actually directly reference Christmas. Yeah. And if you watch the old trailer for It's a Wonderful Life, the same thing. You don't know it's a Christmas movie just by watching the trailers. It was like they hit it on purpose. Were Christmas movies like kryptonite at the movies or something back then? Probably not, but I will say I was thinking about it, and it's really only Christmas at the very end. Well, it start, it's bookended by Christmas. Yeah, but except at the beginning, you don't really get into the Christmas of it all. You start with the, his life. Like, the, it is the day of, but you don't see any. You don't really see him today on Christmas until the end. People are praying for George Bailey. The community yeah. is praying for George Bailey, and it's very sweet. Mm-hmm. And... This movie is actually just kind of amazing. This is my favorite Christmas movie. It's my favorite Christmas movie. Since I sat through it. And I think it's... And when talk, we've been talking about the line of anti-cynicism throughout these classic movies, which is what we like about them for our classic Christmas discussions. And this one is just pure anti-cynicism. There are themes and things in which George Bailey says the way he represents his values. He has dreams and he has disappointments. But he also has stances and the things he says to Mr. Potter, like in his office. A discontented, lazy rabble instead of a thrifty working class. And all because a few starry-eyed dreamers like Peter Bailey stir them up and fill their head with a lot of impossible ideas. Now, I say... Just a minute, just, just a minute. Now, hold on, Mr. Potter. Just a minute. Now, you're right when you say my father was no businessman. I know that. Why he ever started this cheap penny ante building alone, I'll never know. But neither you nor anybody else can say anything against his character because his whole life was... Why, in the 25 years since he and Uncle Billy started this thing, he never once thought of himself. Isn't that right, Uncle Billy? He didn't save enough money to send Harry to school, let alone me. But he did help a few people get out of your slums, Mr. Potter. And what's wrong with that? Well, here, you're all businessmen here. Don't it make them better citizens? Doesn't it make them better customers? You, you said that they, what did you say just a minute ago? They, they had to wait and save their money before they even thought of a decent home? Wait, wait for what? 
Until their children grow up and leave them, until they're so old and broken down that the... Do you know how long it takes a working man to save $5,000? Just remember this, Mr. Potter, that this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. They would call that socialism now. Oh, sure. Father runs a building and loan, but but his father's not like the best businessman. His goal is to help people in the community obtain and own their own houses. Yeah, they're not making any money. These are not rich men. They are truly floating everyone in the community who wants to own their own home. It's this idea of everyone deserves not only to have a home, but to own something that is their own, that they can control. Yeah. A little piece of land. Everyone deserves a home. Everyone deserves a home. We've heard this theme, and it's interesting how we're hearing it from movies of a time in which they weren't without their own issues at these times, you know? Significant issues that affected society in a deep way. And yet, the movies we get today just are not so breathlessly anti-cynical in the way that these classic Christmas movies are. We do get George Bailey. He's the everyman. James Stewart. All right. Well, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful life from 1946. All right. Directed by Frank, Frank Capra. Capra. Written and directed by Frank Capra. Written by Francis Goodrich, Frank Capra, Albert Hackett, and Joe Swirling. Starring James Stewart, Donna Reed, Lionel Barrymore, Henry Travers, amongst others. Which one is Lionel Barrymore? Is that Mr. Potter? Is he of the Barrymore Barrymores? I don't know. They kind of had a little dynasty going on. The Barrymores go back. Quite oh a ways. yeah. So he could be. Vaudevillians. Yeah, totally. I, don't, I guess it might be makeup. I'm not exactly sure how much li- how old Lionel Barrymore was, but Henry Travers was Clarence Oddbody. Yeah, Clarence Oddbody, who's been he's an angel second class. The Cosmos are talking early on in this movie. Looks like we'll have to send someone down. A lot of people asking for help for a man named George Bailey. George Bailey? Yes, tonight's his crucial night, you're right. We'll have to send someone down immediately. Whose turn is it? That's why I came to see you, sir. It's that clockmaker's turn again. Oh, Clarence hasn't got his wings yet, has he? We've passed him up right along. Because you know, sir, he's got the IQ of a rabbit. Yes, but he's got the faith of a child. Simple. Joseph, send for Clarence. You sent for me, sir? I for- They're I- answering some <laughs> prayers. I'm always kind of surprised by that scene every time it comes up. Also, you know, the very beginning of this does look a lot like Christmas in the opening credits. It Not literally is Christmas Eve when it opens. But but the the opening credits look like a Christmas card. Like, it looks like it's going to be a happy Christmas tale, right? Mm. You know, this movie is one that I watched a ton when I was a kid, and I didn't really get the gravity of it. A lot of this movie went over my head, you know? And, you know, we watched it last year. It was the first time I'd seen it as, like, an adult who owns a house and, like, has responsibilities and understands what's going on. And this time, I got even more out of it watching it on the big screen and just being 100% with keyed a into crowded it, audience with a crowded audience. It, I would venture to say it's not only my favorite Christmas movie. I think it's one of my favorite movies. It is. It's really one of the, like best. across the board. I mean, 
Yeah, totally. This is it's a- one of the best made movies ever and best acted. Jim- Jimmy Stewart, this role was made for him. It feels as much. There's no one more perfect than Donna Reed for this part. Yeah. Like, everyone is so I kinda thought good. Vo- I kind of thought Violet was hotter, though. Well, Violet is hot, but that's the thing. Like, that's the thing. Violet is the girl you want to fuck. Right. Mary's the girl you want to marry. Yeah. She's the girl next door. Well, the the Cosmos are talking to Clarence the Angel. Clarence needs his wings. But first, they need to tell the story, the life story of George Bailey. You got to learn about somebody if you want to help them. Right off, when we see these kids sledding on some shovels going down into the ice, like the the camera work right there is really amazing. The cinematography, Joseph Walker and Joseph Byrick, just having the the cameras just following through. Like, it's not just a great themed movie, but it actually is very well shot. Mm-hmm. And then um, George's little brother, Harry, falls into the ice. I also just, they do this in each one of these memories, but like the freeze shots, like he'll be yelling, like he's like yelling, like, come on, boys. And then it like freezes and they're like, that's George Bailey. And then it does it like every time it shows him, like it'll like freeze and like have an image. I don't know. It's just really well done. And so George ends up rescuing his brother from the ice and he gets sick from it. He gets so sick that he loses the hearing in one of his ears. Yeah. Which would affect... Being able to join the military or anything like that later. This is also a wartime movie for he, part of it. He works in a drugstore for Mr. Gower. Mm-hmm. and He's mostly making ice cream and sodas. And that's when we meet the young Mary and Violet and how they are introduced to George. Everybody's wanted Georgie his whole life. So Mr. Gower is not obviously doing well. You can tell he's really choked up. And George finds a letter staying, telling him that his son has died from pneumonia. Yeah. And he goes to offer assistance um, while he's doing a prescription. And he drops these pills and he gets some things mixed up. And he accidentally mixes up some toxic chemicals to go into a prescription for this boy. George catches it and he intercepts it. But he forgets to make it right and he doesn't deliver the meds. Because, of course, there, Mr. Gower doesn't know he messed it up. So later we come back. And this scene fucks me up every time. Like... The emotional range in this scene, just where it goes, like, I cry like a baby every time you watch this scene. Mr. Gower receives information that the that the person did not get their meds, and he's angry at George. And he starts, and and keep in mind, he he just found out his son died. He's completely fucked and up. And he's drunk. Didn't you hear what I said? Yes, sir. I... What kind of drinks you bring it away? Why were you right into the limit and right away? Don't you know that boy's been sick? Take your knee, my soul here. You lazy loafer. Mr. Gower, you don't know what you're doing. You put something wrong in those capsules. I know you're on it. Me? You got the telegram and you're upset. You put something bad in those capsules. It wasn't your fault, Mr. Gower. Just look and see what you did. Look at the bottle you took the powder from. It's poison, I tell you, it's poison. I know you feel bad. Oh. Don't hurt my sewer again! Oh, no, Don't hurt no, my no. sewer again! Oh, George! George! Oh, Mr. Gow, I would never tell anyone. I know you're feeling. I would have felt so hope to die, I would. He slaps him so hard he starts bleeding from his ear. And then he goes from like just being like so hurt and enraged to just embracing this boy 
so and then tightly. Both crying. Uh, I was fucking choked. Well, because then George is also like, "I'll never tell anybody. I'll never tell a soul." It's when people are embracing each other when they're coming together, whether it be Mr. Gower and a young George Bailey, or George when he meets, um, you know, when he connects with Mary. Or George when, like, he thinks he's lost everything and he's got his child in his arms and he's just broken and he's just holding on to that child because that's, like, all that means anything anymore. It's so powerful. Feels so fucking real. You kind of forget they're even acting at that point. They're just... The emotions feel so raw. And it's just... you, You can try your hardest and not achieve that particular emotional resonance that balance of trying to make it feel natural and forced is such a thin line Mm -hmm. but this movie makes it makes it feel so breathless i don't think i i I think it would take everything in my power uh to even sit down and write a scene as powerful as the one i just described but it really is one of the most moving scenes in i've ever seen in a movie i absolutely agree so George, he uh, grows up. He's out of high school. The uh, uh, you know uh, James Stewart looks about thirty, but he's playing a, like a twenty-one-year-old. And he uh, he's been saving up money for four years so that he can go to college. He wants to go to college because he wants to get out of Bedford Falls and he wants to travel around the world. And you you see that he's trying to buy a suitcase and he doesn't like the size of the suitcase. And then all of a sudden. The man pulls this bigger one out from under the counter, and Mr. Gower had pre-purchased it for him and had his name put on it. I mean, he he became like that man's second son. Yeah. You don't have to see it to know it. Yeah. You know, like, they love each other. And even just that, like, I think, you know, obviously you see Mr. Gower a few other times, but he just, this is another movie purely about relationships and realizing what is important in your life and in that community. it's the people and not the things yeah. that matter. Yeah. And George knows that, but he also has these dreams that are so big. You know, he it's his brother's graduation night. His brother's graduating from high school. And this to me when I was a kid was I thought like the best scene in the movie because I was a kid, right? And it's when, you know, Mary's all grown up and George is all grown up and he shows up at the party and oh, also the one liners in this movie. Yeah, yeah. It's like fucking snappy as shit. When they're sitting at the table, him and his dad and like the maid is there, like they're just like it's so funny. Right. This the dialogue movie. is really good. So good. The delivery of everyone is so brilliant. Even their little mama cracks me up. They pick her up and carry her down the stairs like they're singing. Like this movie goes from making you cry because it's like so sad and heartfelt to making you so incredibly happy. Like he goes and he sees Mary across the room and they make eye contact and he basically walks over and tells this guy to just get the fuck away from them so he can dance with this girl. Uh-huh. And they start dancing and the boy's mad so he he gets his key from his friend and it's this big deal that this is a new dance floor has been built on top of a pool. The floor opens up, like the basketball court opens up and there's a pool underneath and they all fall. But but they don't all at first. Like, it's this scene of everyone sees it except George and Mary because they're so into each other. And at one point, he actually thinks, like, oh, we must be winning. We must actually be really good at this. Mm. And the, the amount of times that they almost fall before they fall, it's, like, brilliant comedic timing. It's almost one too many times that they almost fall 
And then they do, and then everybody jumps in, and then you get the scene where he's walking her home, and they're falling in love. Yeah, and they're they're in her robe and stuff, and he's kind of toying with her, and her robe comes off, and she hides in the bushes. But then that's when he gets word, because he's about to go off to school, and Harry's going off to school as well. He's supposed to leave. like No, Harry's going to work at the building and loan for four years to save up his money to go to college because their dad, even though he has this business, has no money to send them to school. But his dad wants George to stay and run the building. He wants him to come back after college. Well, in that moment, they find out that George's father passes away. Yeah. So George makes a decision to stay to run the building alone, and he and sends he Harry off. And gives his brother his money to go to school. To go off to go to school. He's always doing what's right, even though it's not lining up to his dream. And this is very important. He doesn't live his dream, but it doesn't mean that everything he does isn't as important or impressive or amazing. Absolutely. Things just don't always happen the way you think they will or should. And I feel like that is such an important lesson here that another aspect that is, you know, you go onto a lot of people's Instagrams. It's like everyone's trying to be like this inspirational. It's like we're trying to all push some bullshit version of our own prosperity gospel that really just seems like some tool to make us feel better about ourselves. Yeah. But we're only talking about like, all of our determinations and our go for it. And when we fail in which people do all the time, then we leave that part out of the, of the narrative, you know, it's the internet is not the truth. No. And the way people want to talk about themselves, it's just more about what they wish they were as opposed to where they really are. And George Bailey is kind of like this early on when we meet him. Well, his brother is going to come back from college in the hopes that he will pick up, Doing the buildings alone. And then George can go travel the world. At this point, he's not trying to go to college. He just wants to go. But Harry met a woman, and he's got a line on a great job in Buffalo. With her father. With her father. And it's something he's actually really good at. And George, as much as he desires to leave, does not want to hinder his brother's dreams in any way. Right. And of course, World War II breaks out, and Harry, George can't go because he's deaf in one ear. But Harry goes, mm-hmm. he goes off and becomes a Medal of Honor winner. Yeah. Like, he becomes this amazingly, like, high-profile guy, you know? And so his little brother is going all over the world. And, yes, he's fighting, but he's he's experiencing things, and he's he's going and seeing things. And George, George stayed, and George reconnects with Mary. The part where George reconnects with Mary... Makes me cry every time, too, because he's so mad. Like, he's just mad at the situation because he he's just frustrated. Yeah. It's not even that he's mad because he's not mad at his brother. He's just frustrated that he wants to go and he knows he can't. And then there's this girl, you know, and obviously he, obviously she's great. It's one of those things where it's almost like, you're so great. Yeah. Why are you so great? Yeah. You know, like he has this, and you so understand that feeling of like, I want to like you, but I my plan was to go. Yeah. You know? And he even says to her at one point, like, I'd kiss you if I wasn't me. But then he goes over to her house and, and he's kind of not really paying attention to her and they kind of get in a fight. But then this other boy they grew up with calls and he starts to get kind of jealous. And then the boy's friends with both of them, so he wants to talk. So they share the phone. And they're so close to each other. And it's like this 
they're like magnets. They got Like, they cannot stay away from each other. And even when they hang up the phone and he finally is going to kiss her, it's like there's this desperation in it that, Mm. again, is one of those things that, like, you cannot make that up. Like, I'm not saying that they had anything truly between each other, but there were... The way that they gave themselves over to these characters, it, like, breaks your heart. Like, you should be happy, but you're mm. also... It's, like, devastating. So, um, now, George, so George and Mary get together, and they end up moving into this decrepit house that they broke the windows out and house. made wishes in. She's always wanted to live there. And their friends are, like, serenading them and, like, pretending like they're sh- chauffeurs mm. and shit. Bert and Ernie. Because... On the day that they were supposed to leave on their honeymoon, fucking Potter yeah. goes and fucks up the bank because he's the bad guy. And all this stuff happens where, like, people are people are trying to get their money from the bank and they can't. So they go to the building and loan and they're like, I need my money oh, I love from this. y'all. I love this part and as well. they've got, like, $2,000 that this is the money that George has saved up this whole time to first go to college and then to go on these trips. And so this is his money that he's been saving for years and years. But of course the loan, the building loan isn't profitable, but Mr. Potter has said that if they pull their shit out, even though they can't access their money right now, they can over time. Well, Potter says you put your money in my bank. I'll give you at least half of what you're, what he wants is their shares. Yes. So if he gets enough of their shares, he will own the building and loan Yeah. because it's like, it's like they're, they're all shareholders within this building alone. And that's what, that's what George is trying to explain to them is that I don't have your $200 because your $200 is in his house and his money is in his house and you can get your money in six months, but I can't give it to you today. And so his wife, George is literally built. I mean, this will come a little later. George literally builds a neighborhood for people in need of homes. Like it's like Bailey Fields or something. It's like a whole neighborhood named after him. So you got this guy who's not, who's his every dream that he says he wants is getting just clamped every time. But he's actually like providing things to his community. Yes. And this is a moment in which he has to talk his community back into staying together and staying with with him mm-hmm. because they're so scared about losing their money mm-hmm. and they're impatient and they're like, so at first they're like I want the whole 200 that's in my account and well, he's that like, one guy does still get his and, whole 200 and Mary takes the money that they were going to use for the trip and he's like here's the money here and he's so George's like, I got $2,000. I got $2,000. Here's $2,000. This will tide us over to the bank reopens. All right, Tom, how much do you need? $242. Oh, Tom, just enough to tide you over until the bank reopens. I'll take $242. That'll close my account. Your account's still here. That's a loan. Okay. All right, Ed. Well, I got $300 here, George. All right, now, Ed, what will it take until the bank opens? What, what do you need? Well, I... I suppose twenty dollars. Twenty dollars. Now you're talking. Right. Thanks, Ed. That's fine. All right, now, Miss Thompson, how much do you want? But it's your own money, now, George. Don't mind about that. How much do you want? Well, I can get along with twenty, all right. Twenty dollars, fine. And I'll sign there the papers. You, you don't have to sign anything. I know you. You pay when you can. That's okay. All right, Miss Davis. Well, could I have seventeen fifty? 
Bless your heart. Of course, you're gonna have. You got fifty cents. Seventeen fifty, and he kisses her, and he's like, "God bless you." Yeah, it's it's so sweet because it is in that moment. It's like, okay, right? Because that's the thing he says to them is he's like, "You're gonna go sell your shares to Potter, and then you're gonna lose your house." So you think if you're he looks at one guy, and he's like, "You were two months late on your mortgage." Do you think that Potter would not have foreclosed on your right. house? Like, you would be paying him this. And, and apparently, it's like insane rent rates that mortgage, that um, that Potter would charge people. And so that's why they could not get, they could not buy houses because they couldn't get a foot in the door. Uh-huh. And that's where George and his family steps in. Oh, and that was the thing, too. The reason George stayed, he was going to go after they settled his father's affairs. He was still going to go. But if he had left... They were going to dissolve the building and loan. Yeah. They were like, we'll keep it open if you stay. So it's literally one of those things like all these people are going to lose their homes unless you stay. Yeah. It's, it's all got to be always been on his shoulders. George embodies his father's intentions and dreams whether he wants to or not. He understands it. And he even says like, my dad was not a good businessman. I'm not a good businessman. But I understand what people need. This movie has since become an institution throughout the rest of our lives. People... Watch this yearly. And I'm watching this movie and seeing, like, how is this movie not politically radicalizing people mm. against our, our our system and the way we use each other, the way we cynically pull from each other? Because mm-hmm. this movie is about the opposite of all of that. Mm-hmm. It's about community and overcoming cynicism and profiteering because family and everything else comes first. And also, like, giving people a chance. Yes. You know, there's this... People talk in the town like he's fucking Violet. And he's not, but he gives her money. Yeah. Because she doesn't have money. She needs help. And they're friends. You know? It's one of those things where people are... Even when you're helping them, they're still looking for something bad in you always. Mm. There's nothing bad in him. And he's truly been just like worn down by trying to help everyone and they've all kind of gotten a little lost yeah. of what the goal is well the thing about these the neighborhood that george bailey helps people and helps the martinis get a house and everything I love and, the martinis and ha- helps them set up their um you know business their bar or whatever and it actually in the long run since the the town didn't take their money out of the buildings alone these houses are actually highly profitable because he helped them get these houses at such a low price. And now, because they're, so they're a thriving neighborhood, the houses are worth way more than double. And that's a threat to Potter. And even a guy that works for Potter says that they're like the cutest little houses you could imagine. Yeah. You know, it's the nicest neighborhood. And Potter tries to buy out George, pay him uh, 20000 a year, which is huge in 1946. Oh, yeah. And, uh, which is funny how that is not even a living wage now. This scene. And he's offering to run his, you know, his branches and his banks or whatever. And for a minute, George is like, maybe this is what I should do. But there's that second where then he shakes Potter's hand. Okay, Mr. Potter. Wait a minute here. Wait a minute. I don't need 24 hours. I, I don't have to talk to anybody. I know right now. And the answer is no, no. Doggone it. You sit around here and you spin your little webs and you think the whole world revolves around you and your money. Well, it doesn't, Mr. Potter. In the, 
In the whole vast configuration of things, I'd say you were nothing but a scurvy little spider. Sam Wainwright starts a company making plastics out of soy, and he offers George, like, to get in on the ground level with him. And George even tells him where to set up the factory. You know, yeah, like, yeah. George knows... In town, which provides jobs for... Yeah, he's like, you'll have labor, you'll have everything. So, like, even that alone... Yeah. You know, if George had not just given his friend that 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 bit of information, that place would have been built in New York somewhere. He, that guy's now fucking rich mm. because he got in on the plastics. But that was the thing where George was like, "I don't want, I don't want ground floors. I don't want this or that and the other. I just want you, Mary. You know, whatever." But but she says to him over and over again, and that's the thing. I think that. He can't see in himself what she sees in him. She understands how wonderful he is, and she always has, and she doesn't need anything. Yeah. The fact that they are married and in love and that they have their children and they're living in this old house that she's constantly trying to fix up. I mean, Clarence is like the angel, but she is an angel. She is like the best thing to happen to him. Yep. Like truly, and it is kind of funny uh, when we get the alternate world here, their uncle Bill, who co-founded the buildings alone with yeah, it was George's father, but Uncle Bill, he's a good guy, and he has all these pets. There's a fucking raven that hangs out, a squirrel. He's got a monkey and a squirrel and a little bird. Like this guy, there's just like a crow or a raven that just hangs out at the building he's alone. He's extremely forgetful, and he ties all these strings around his fingers to remember things. Mm. Which honestly, this is so. This is a kind of a little bit of an aside, but I just have to point out. So he ties all these, and that always, anytime anyone has a string tied around their finger, it always makes me think of this Bert and Ernie book that I had when I was a kid, where Bert's trying to remember something. The reason I say that is to say, it made me genuinely giggle because I don't think I ever realized that the cab driver and the cop that serenade them that are their friends are, are Bert, Bert and Ernie. Ernie. That is absolutely where they name those. <laughs> it had to be, right? Yeah. It had to be. Oh, I love it. But uh, Uncle Bill has about, you know, $8,000, which floats the 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 business. It's it's what they made and they can turn over. They've got to go make the deposit. Uh, they got to go make the deposit. But he meets Mr. Potter at the bank. And he, they he, they have some wordy exchange, but he accidentally leaves the envelope in Potter's newspaper after he, like, reads something from it. He's showing him, he's like, look at the Bailey boy got a Medal of Honor. He's showing him yeah, yeah. Harry's Medal of Honor. Right, because Potter hates the Baileys, mm -hmm. so Uncle Bill is just, like, rubbing it in he's his bragging. face. But he leaves the envelope of $8,000 in Potter's paper when he hands it to them, so Bill can't find it. And now, the thing is, if they don't front this money up, it's essentially fraud. It makes it look they just stole the money or they don't have it. Like, you it's know, it's going to ruin them. It's going to ruin. It's going to close everything down. And Potter realizes and Potter immediately. Potter will take over everything. But he looks out and he sees Billy scrambling and yeah. he decides not to tell him. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm just going to hang on to this money. They cannot find this money. And George is wrecked and he goes back to the house and the kids are. Daughter's practicing the piano. He's got four kids at this yeah. point. Uh, one girl's sick in bed, and the kids are just around setting up the Christmas tree. The oldest tree. boy's asking him how to spell long words, but, and the little boy's but George pulling is, on him. This is a, such a relatable scene. Yes. So fucking stressed, and he's got this lovely family, but he just can't take it because everything that he built is just about to go away. He could get locked up. Yeah. And he's looking at them, and all he can think is that he has failed them. failed them. 
And that's the part where he's holding his uh, the one the the daughter, the son. I forget the little boy, the little baby boy. And then he, but he's also snapping at the whole family. And then he just feels so bad that he runs away, and he goes and he he goes and he gets hammered, and then he drives drunk, and then he drives into a tree, and then he goes to the bridge, and he's going to throw himself off the fucking bridge. Yeah. And then that's when we when Clarence shows up, the angel without wings. He's a Class two angel. He's an angel second class. Angel and if second he class. can help George, he will get his wings. So so Clarence throws himself in the water like, help, help. And so George, of course. Saves him. Saves him. And he has, and he explains to George that he's an angel. He's his guardian angel. Well, you look about like the kind of an angel I'd get. And George was like, of course he doesn't buy it. He's drunk. I do love the, I jumped in. So you would have to save me, and by that I saved you. Yeah. And of course it sounds crazy as hell. But if after watching his life story, it's not. That's exactly what George Bailey would do. So George, at some point, is like... I suppose it would have been better if I'd never been born at all. What'd you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. Oh, you mustn't say things like that. You. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's an idea. What do you think? Yeah, that'll do it. All right. You've got your wish. You've never been bored. And then they go around town to see, and it takes a bit uh, to convince George. He doesn't, of course he, no one would be like, yeah, sure, you're my guardian angel, and I really was never born. But the way they do it's really interesting, because he kind of is like playing with him a little bit, and he yeah, just yeah. thinks he's like a drunk old man. He goes to his car where he crashed it, and there's no car there, because he never crashed the car, he never existed. They go to where the Bedford Falls sign is, and it says Pottersville. Pot- Pottersville, and it's looking like New Orleans. And where the Bailey Court, or whatever it was, Bailey Town Bailey Park, I think is that's a what cemetery. it was. Is a cemetery. Uh, he goes to Martini's bar, and nobody knows him, of course. And then Mister Gower comes in, and he's like homeless, begging, and they throw him out. And then when George defends him, they're like, "Oh, you know, he killed a kid a long time ago with some bad medicine because George wasn't there to stop the." And he spent twenty years in prison. So you're probably just like that guy. Then he goes over to his uh, mother's place. Of course, he was never born. And there was a joke early on when he was moving out. He's like, got to move out of this uh, Bailey boarding house. And then you walk up and it's Ma Bailey's boarding, boarding house. house. But she goes in. He's like, Ma, it's me, George. He's like, I don't know a George. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and then Clarence, she has no kids because Clarence says, because when Harry broke through that ice, you he weren't died. there to save him. So he doesn't go on to get married. He doesn't go on to be successful in a company. He doesn't go on to win the Medal of Honor. Well, and George is like, he saved a whole a whole like, platoon of people. And, and he's like, no, they, those people died. They all die. And then uh, the, the the audience in watching this movie, this part was very funny. He's like, what about Mary? And he's like, I'm not supposed to show you, Mary. <laughs> she's this, she's this, an old maid. <laughs> This is legitimately She's about funny. to close up the library, and he runs across, and truly... Mary! 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 Mary!
George, George, don't you know me? What's happened to us? I don't know you. Let me go. Mary, please. Oh, don't do this to me. Please, Mary. Help me. Where's our kids? I need you, Mary. Mary's problem is that she has a full-time job and no husband. I know you're going to flash this up, but she looks like she's aged 50 years and she's like, Mary, you're all dried up. You've never been wet your whole life. <laughs> I wasn't born, so you never got wet, Mary. The idea this woman <laughs> would not have found someone else is literally insane. That's the most unbelievable part it is. of that it's story. The, it is. It's, the, the, mo- it's it, the most unbelievable part. It's the the unintentionally funniest part of the movie. And everyone in the theater laughed as soon as we saw her face. It was yes. like, whoa. <laughs> Mary, you're drier than the Atacama Desert, Mary. And then he tries to like tell, talk to her, and he chases her. He's like, Mary, Mary, and she doesn't know who he is. No other man ever did it for her. You also, there is a part, too, at the beginning of when he starts realizing that this is real, where he's going down and, you know, where the building and loan was is gone, where, like, the drugstore is gone, and it's all, like, dance clubs and, yeah. like, naked girls. and Right, it's New Orleans. Disrespect, or, or <laughs> dis- disrepute, that's the word. Yeah, yeah. Establishments of disrepute. And it just makes him sad because his town is gone. This town he wanted so badly to leave, he all of a sudden realizes that he loved every square inch of it. Yeah. So he goes back to the spot where Clarence meets him and he's... and He's, he's yelling, Clarence, He's broken. Clarence. I want to live. I want to live just a little bit more. And then the police car comes up and this time the cop recognizes him. And he's like, you know who I am. You know who I am. <laughs> And then he goes, then he starts running through the streets. Yay! Hello, Bedford Falls! Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas, George! Merry Christmas, George! Merry Christmas, movie house! Merry Christmas, Emporium! Merry Christmas, you wonderful old building alone! Every little thing that he nitpicked, and shat on. Hey! Christmas, Happy New Year to you! In jail! Go on home, they're waiting for you! <laughs> the town that is, he's felt has been an albatross on his neck is the thing that, like, saves him. Mm-hmm. And he goes back to his house, and his family's there, and he's so happy to see them. But also, so are, like, some guy for the government and some police coming to but arrest him. But he walks him. in and shakes his hand, and he's like, I'm gonna go to jail! Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> And then in the and I also cry at this point. I do too. At one point, when um, when George has lost that money, he does beg Potter for the money, and Potter says, "Why don't you go to your 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 friends and neighbors and, and he's beg like, them they don't for have the it. money?" So, which is Potter kind of says what's going to happen at the end, right? Oh, and he also mentions the hee haw boy, but he can't get in touch with him because he's in Europe. So. Then one by one, all all these people start crowding around the house. They're coming in and they're throwing down money. They've got a big basket. And they're like, we heard you needed $8,000 in the whole town, the whole community that he's helped his whole life. The town that he essentially built, in spite of, you know, always feeling like he never truly belonged. This whole community comes together and they scrape money for him. To make sure that the building alone, the thing that kept them going. I know. And then um, and then one of the guys comes up and he has a telegram and he says, and it's from, I don't know why I can't think of his name, but the guy Sam. who's in, Sam Wainwright. 
in London and Fronts he $25,000 he haw and Merry Christmas and then here comes Harry Harry comes home Harry mom's home. there so heartwarming and meaningful and beautiful and there's this part where they're all start to come in and and uh, George can't stop kissing Mary also like she's like no look what's happening and he's like no no I love you like it's just it's beautiful yeah and I even love the part where they start singing Old Ang Syne and the little girl doesn't know the fucking words. And that's fine. And the, and of course, the, <laughs> the bell rings on the trees, which signifies that Clarence got, got his wings. wings. And, when, and I know you could think it's cheesy, but it's not. When he looks up and he's like... Oh, boy, Clarence. It's wonderful. The movie is about the power of community coming together to protect itself and, and one other. of their O's and each other. And there there does feel like there is something kind of lost, you know, nowadays in terms of like, you know, we got this communications technology that somehow yeah. has made us like I mentioned before, we're 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 using it to prop up this desire for ourselves, but we're not really truly being real with ourselves and and it seems like our paranoia with one another is at an all time especially if you're just filtering everything through your social media or or cable news or anything Mm -hmm. but when you go out into the streets you know you wave hi to your neighbors all the way back you go into the stores and people are just living their lives like i think it is something about our society that has benefited financially not for everyone but for a few to fracture us up to to make us not realize the amazing things that we as a people could do together and i'm not talking about people in power i'm talking about everyday people everyday working people the the amazing things that they can do that one man can do mm-hmm. that can inspire many people to do it's one of the most beautiful movies ever made and if I if I really had to nitpick film wise anything, there's that part where Uncle Bill was losing the money with Potter in the bank. There was some weird cuts there, like you could see the cuts. Okay. If I had to nitpick anything, but I didn't notice that. But fuck that. Everything else is just so dead on perfect. This is a perfect movie. It's a ten. Ten. Period. It really is. It's no hype. And it's not just a holiday movie or like a. You know, like, it's like, oh, yeah, people always watch that. It's so cliche to say it's, like, your favorite. But it is, I truly mean it. It's not just my favorite Christmas movie. It is one of my favorite movies that I've ever seen in my life. If you've never seen it, watch it again. And if you think you've seen it, watch it again. We're going to go to the Bell Court every year. Every year. Opening this is night. now what we're doing yep. every year for the rest of our life. And I will cry at least every two time. scenes every time. And I think Jimmy Stewart will probably get the best actor at the Humpies every year. <laughs> Oh, I want a humpy. <laughs> you know who didn't get a humpy? Mary, when I wasn't, <laughs> when I didn't exist. Mary got no humpies. 
one of the things that makes me love her so much is that she has layers too. Like, she gets mad at him at one point. She's waited for him to come visit her to the point where she has this drawing that she did ready to go. And she has this record on the record player of Buffalo Girls because that's what they were yeah. singing that night. And she stages it all because she's been waiting for him to come visit her. And when he makes her mad, she pulls the record off and smashes it. Like, it's just these real, real moments. Mm. Even the girl who's, like, the girl next door, like, gets fucking angry. I don't know. It's just really good. So, check it out. It is on the S-tier list. Alphabetize all one list. And uh, you, any movie off this list, you're in you're in good company. And it's A Wonderful Life by Frank, Frank Capra from 1946. You're goddamn right. It's an S-tier movie. Come on. Come on. And, folks, we hope you have a Merry Christmas today. This episode will be dropping on Christmas, I'm sure. Sure, you will get to it when you can. and uh, But it's good to, on this special day, one of our favorite movies, and It's a Wonderful Life, really is one of the greatest, probably the best Christmas movie ever made. Yeah. No doubt. It has survived the test of time. And um, and even now, when we were at the Belcourt watching it with a crowd of people, there were kids there, there were young adults there, there were older folk there. That was actually... A variety of generations there. It's still important. So check the show notes for links and other places to find us. Uh, Like, subscribe, leave a comment. Uh, We're wrapping up this year. And we're going to be talking about two, for January's theme, talking about two major leading black men and Paul Robeson and Denzel Washington. I'm really excited for that month. But we hope that this time of the year, that regardless of what you believe, who you are, that you're warm and having a good time with your family. Everyone deserves a home. Everyone deserves friends. And, and we so appreciate you. We appreciate you. And today we're just gonna I'm just gonna say we love you. Oh, 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 oh.